Well, take your Bibles and find the book of Psalm, chapter 122. I was talking with Pastor Jim this week and some others, and this may have been one of the hardest messages I've tried to put together in a number of years as we talk about this really difficult topic of responding to the war that's in our world today, the war that Israel is encompassed in, and recognizing that um, lots of us, though we worship the same God and we read the same Bible and we have the same faith, we often, uh, oftentimes we have different opinions about this political, about this historical and this spiritual battle that is taking place in the world today. So my goal today is not to try to convince you of anything. Someone said years ago, if I can talk you into it, someone else will talk you out of it. Let's let the Word of God speak. Okay. And we're just going to take a look at some very, I think, important passages um, and yes, we'll focus on the war of Israel. We'll focus on the events taking place. But I want you to stick with me because I believe the Lord's going to bring this thing right back home to where you and I live, where you and I sit this morning. Okay. Psalm 122, the passage in my Bible has the heading of a prayer for Jerusalem. I'm reading out of the uh, Christian standard Bible. It says this. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet were standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city should be, solidly and united, where the tribes, the Lord's tribes, go to give thanks to the name of the Lord, because this is the ordinance of Israel. There thrones for judgment are placed, thrones of the house of David, the famous verse, verse 6, pray for the peace or the well-being of Jerusalem and may those who love you be secure or be blessed. Pray that there be peace within your walls, security within your fortresses. And because of my brothers and friends, I will say my peace be in you. Notice whose peace that is. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will pursue your prosperity. Father, would you have your way today? Would you speak plainly and clearly? Would you guide and guard my lips? And would you open our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what you already know is Israel's at war, isn't it? Israel's been at war before. If you read the Old Testament, Israel's been at war a lot. And when Israel became a state... In 1948, coming back to their homeland, and man, I think one of the things that was so difficult about this message was trying to figure out how to consolidate all the years of history of Israel into a 45-minute message. Um, so you best start praying now that God will allow the oven to slow down and the roast not to burn, because uh, we may be here a while. What took place on October the 8th, the brutality of the Hamas terrorist 
quite frankly, is an evil that is unthinkable. What I don't intend to do to you today and before you today is to draw a line between peoples. I do intend to draw a line for us today between good and evil. We can unite on that, can't we? We can unite on good and evil. We can unite, unite on darkness and light. And I believe that it would be virtually impossible for any of us who love the Lord, who love His Word and love His promises and love His people, not to understand that the attack of Hamas upon Israel was an evil, demonic attack. I am not talking about the person. I'm talking about the action. Dr. Falwell used to teach us that we are to hate the sin, but love the sinner. I remember one time there was a group that was protesting in front of Thomas Road Baptist Church and they had their signs and they were walking up and down the, the sidewalk there in front of the church. And Dr. Falwell was a little bit late getting into the parking lot that day. I used to work the parking lot and direct people, and he was a little bit late getting there. And then as only Doc could do, he came flying in in his big black Suburban doing 80 miles an hour through, through the parking lot, and its, it's bodies are just flying one way or the other. And he stops, and he, gaze, he motions us over. He says, guys, get this and take it out to the protesters. And he had gone and gotten coffee and donuts for all of them. And here they were protesting in front of the church of what he was preaching. And he said, I don't care about that. I care about them. Do you catch the difference? Today, I want you to understand that there are people involved here, that there are lives involved here, that there are souls involved here. So in light of that, Israel goes to war after being attacked. And some say the equivalence of this you remember 9-11 when we lost the thousands on our homeland per capita by population. Well, I think we lost, I forget the number, was it 5,500 or so in that terrorist attack? By equivalent, what took place in Israel on October the 8th would be the equivalent of, a, of the United States of America losing 30,000 of its residents. That's a lot of people. Were we justified? Did it swell up within you when your country was attacked in 9-11 to go and pursue our attackers? Sure it did. Does Israel have the right to defend itself according to Scripture? It does. I'll give you a couple. Some of these are not on your handout. You can write the references down. Uh, we don't have time today to go and look at everything. But if you want to write down Romans 13.4. Scripture says, Paul is writing, it says, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. Try on Psalm 82.4. Rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Pretty strong verse, isn't it? Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Exodus 22.2. If a thief is caught breaking in at night and has struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. 
So does Israel have the right to defend herself? I believe, according to Scripture, she does. I believe that, na- that Israel is a nation that desires peace. Here's, here's what I firmly believe this morning. And I'm not going to give you much personal opinion, but I will give you this. Based on history, based on our documentation, based on our statements, if Israel said today, we want peace and we will not fight, every enemy they have around them, would come upon them. Everyone. Every country around them. If Israel said, we will not respond, they would annihilate, annihilate the country. But the same is not reversed. I can tell you this, if all the countries around Israel would say, we want peace and we will not attack the nation of Israel, there would be peace in the Middle East. There would be. So you're going, well, you're just just pro-Israel. You must be anti-Palestinian or anti-Arab. And I think those are the wrong circles to draw. I think those are the wrong places to go into. Because you may sympathize with the Palestinian suffering does not make you an opposer of Israel. And because you may sympathize with Israel defending its country does not make you a hater of the Palestinians in the Arab country. Or let me say this, it better not. According to Scripture, it must not. The problem is, is in our world today, we have people taking Scripture out of context to defend their own position. So now we have the Word of God being used to promote both sides of this debate and this conversation. So some pastors and some churches choose to avoid the conversation altogether and go, we're not going to have a conversation on that. And I believe today, obviously, that that is a mistake. To ignore Israel is a mistake. To ignore the prophecies and the promises given to Israel that the land will be returned to them, that this is the land that God gave them, that this is their inheritance, and that they have a right to it, to ignore that would be a mistake according to the Word of God. That's not your, your preacher speaking. Don't blame me. Talk to him. Okay? So in all of that, we understand according to the Word of God that as the days approach... And as the return of Christ gets closer, God is going to move Israel into the center stage of the world. I've been asked several times the last couple of weeks, so, so are, are we getting close to the return of Christ? Here's my answer. Yes. Yes. You're 24 hours closer today than you were yesterday. Ask me tomorrow if you're getting closer. The answer? Yes. Do you remember when Jesus ascended up to the mountaintop, up to the heavens on the mountaintop, and he told the disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come back? And he ascended up into heaven, and I, you can imagine those cats standing there going, I mean, he's been gone about 15 minutes. 
How long is this going to take? They thought his return was imminent. They thought his return was soon. And it is soon according to the, day, to the time and the economy of the Lord. Is he coming back? Oh, I know it as sure as I look at you today. Do you today? Is he coming back? Do I hope this is moving me closer to the one day where I will see my Lord face to face and bow down and worship him for eternity? Even so, Lord Jesus, as the writer said, come on. He didn't say it quite that way, but that's our language, right? Come on. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I hope you don't look at the events of this world today and go, oh, it's so dark and it's so desperate and it's so evil and it's so wicked. Yes, it's all of those things and all of those things keep pushing us closer and closer and closer to the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ where we will rule with him and reign with him forever. Where death goes away, sickness goes away, and we stand united for him for eternity. Man, if that, if that doesn't quicken your heart, I'm going to ask you, do you really want him to come? And if you don't, why? What is it that you think is so more precious here than what God wants to give us in heaven one day? So stick with me as I give you a couple principles that I think help us approach this great world conflict that I think we are facing. And then we're going to come back and take it right to where we live and the shoes in which we walk, all right? So give you, give you a couple things. We're going to bounce through a lot of Scripture. But I think if you're going to look at the war of Israel and the times in which we live in, number one, just understand the root of the conflict. Understand the base of it. Understand how we got here. Understand why this is happening. And I'd love to take you all the way back to the days of Isaac and Ishmael. I'd love to, because... That's the Jews and the Palestinians. I'd love to take you back into all that. We don't have the time today. But this passage, I think, gives us great clarity. Look at Psalm 83, verses 1 through 5. It says, O oh God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O oh God. Can I just stop right there? Are you praying that at all? Are you asking for the Lord to intervene? How much better would it be than, than countries to go at war with each other than God to come in who's the Prince of Peace and speak it and it happened? Are you praying for God to intervene, for hearts to be changed? It can happen. It can happen. But you've got to understand the root of it because look at verse 2. Behold your enemies. Underline a couple things. Every time you see this personal pronoun about the Lord, I want you to pay attention to it. Behold your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. And they say, come let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more, for they conspire with one accord against you to make a covenant. Folks, I want you to understand at the root of this thing, at the root of the evil and the war and the terror that we face today, it is not as much a Palestinian or an Arab world against a Jewish world. It is the satanic forces of hell against holy God. That's where the root of this thing is. Yeah. 
That's where this thing is really going to be played out. I was listening to David Jeremiah this week, and he was so good. He said, some of you think that the opposite of God is Satan. He said, it's absolutely wrong. The opposite of God is not Satan. God has no opposite. He is greater than anyone. He has no equal. The opposite of God is not Satan. The opposite of Satan is Michael, the archangel. Both were angels. Michael still is. Satan fell, and a third of the angels came with him. That's where you get the devil. That's where you get the, the demonic influences on this world today. This is a total side note. I don't know about you all, but only God is omnipresent. You understand that? Only God is everywhere at the same time. Satan is not. And I just wonder why he lives at my house and not some other houses sometimes. You know Satan can only be at one place at one time? Think about that. He is confined to space, not like our God who is omnipresent and is everywhere at one time. Satan can only be at one place at one time. And yet his evil seems to have permeated this world, doesn't it? But God who is greater, his holiness and righteousness can permeate this world just as well. That's the gospel. That's the truth of the word of God. But if you look at Psalm 83, you will see over and over and over that all this evil that is taking place in our world and all this war that is raging, even though they say, and the nations have actually said the exact quote out of Psalm 83, 4. When you look at Iran and Hamas and these terrorist groups, you will see that their desire, their greatest goal is to wipe the nation of Israel off the face of the earth. That's what the text just said. But you need to realize who they're fighting. They are fighting the Almighty One. They're for the fighting the One who will win every war. So what I said at the beginning of this message, this isn't about history and this isn't about politics. This has a spiritual root to it. This is a divine battle. 1 John 2.18 says, Children, it is the last hour. Do you get a witness on that one? It is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now, now, right now, he says, many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. Folks, I submit to you this morning that this, while the, I'm, I don't know if the Antichrist is on the earth today or not. We can talk about that later. But I can tell you this, the spirit of the Antichrist is here. The spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well and moving throughout our earth. What would the spirit of the Antichrist look like? Christ is peace. Do you agree with that? Yes. I bring peace, he says. So what would the spirit of the Antichrist be? Conflict. Everything that God is, the Antichrist is the opposite. So if Christ is peace, the spirit of the Antichrist is conflict and chaos. 1 John 4, 7, God is, you know what? He is love. Do you agree with that this morning? God is love. So what is the spirit of the Antichrist? Has to be hatred. If God is love, then Satan has to be hatred. Hatred. The spirit of the Antichrist today will be anti-Semitic. To hate the Jewish people. 
and to desire their destruction. And Scripture says that God loves the Jewish people and has promised them to always be their God. Do you see what we're doing here? This is a, a battle that has a demonic spirit at the root of it. And the only explanation, I mean the only explanation for anyone to do what Hamas has done in the recent days has to be demonic. Has to have such an evil influence to it. So understand the context. Number two. You all doing all right with me today? Okay. Number two. Pray for Israel. Pray for Israel. Prior to October 8th, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm not going to ask you to demonstrate this, but I want you to identify it in your heart. Prior to this recent conflict, how many of us in this room prayed for Israel every day? The challenge is, many of us as Christ followers have simply gone to sleep on this task. The passage you read, Psalm 122, verse 6, pray for the well-being of Israel. Pray for the people of Jerusalem. Pray. And he says, when you pray, you will be blessed. Do I think that country should stand with Israel? Well, it's regardless what I think. God says, pray with Israel. Pray for Israel. This is a divine command. Go back to the Abrahamic covenant that we find in Genesis chapter 12. And God makes this promise to Abraham, doesn't he? He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. Underline that. Pay attention to it. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, again, I don't have time to get into this. This is going to take us a while to unpack. But there is a teaching in our churches today called replacement theology. Replacement theology, the short version, the Reader's Digest version of this, simply says that all the promises that God made to Israel have been replaced by the church. So now all these promises that God will be their people and that God will protect them and God will provide them is no longer active towards Israel, but it's now active to us, the body of Christ, the church. I'm going to submit to you this morning that that is bad teaching and that is false teaching. God loves his people Israel and God loves the church. And this is not an either or, it is a both and situation. So we pray for our believers, we pray for one another, and we pray for Israel. And we can get into Romans 11 and we can talk about the grafting and how all this comes about. But what I want you to understand today, when we say pray for Israel, this is not an unhealthy idolization of the Jewish people of the country of Israel. Do I get a witness in the room today that everything they do is not wholesome and godly and righteous? Just because they're Israel doesn't make them automatically holy. 
God has blessed the people of Israel. Yes, God wants to bless the country of Israel. It is appropriate for us to pray for their peace and to pray for their protection and disagree with some of their practices and some of their policies. We can do both. My wife loves me. My life prays for me. And oftentimes disagrees with some of my practices and philosophies. She's wrong, but she disagrees. But that's a whole another conversation. Folks, this is not this unhealthy prioritization of Israel. When you pray for Israel, watch this. It is an appreciation for the role that they have played. Messiah, King Jesus, Lord of Lords and Kings of Kings, King of the Jews, a Jewish man, took on humanity, remained his divinity, died as a Jewish man. I'm grateful for the nation of Israel and the Jewish people for my Savior who came through that people, given to us by God and none other. You hear that this morning? I'm grateful for the Word of God. I'm grateful for the country of Israel and what they provided for us. How should you pray for them? You want to write down a couple quick things? I'm going to give you five bullet points. Write them down somewhere if, if this will help you. By the way, we provided for you a, a prayer guide. And if you don't pick it up when you came in, they're on the door, at the doors on your way out. I would encourage you to pick one of those up. Good grief, it's 1104. Would someone pray that God will stop time and just hold the sun still for a little bit? Pray for God to bring peace and security back to the Holy Land. Do you agree with that? Just bring peace and security. Pray for a quick, quick resolution of this war and conflict and that there be no greater escalation. Is that reasonable? Let's pray for that. Listen to this. Pray that every person in Israel and in Gaza and the West Bank and throughout the Arab world, pray for every single one of them that has been affected. There's a lot of innocent people over there. Pray that God's righteousness will rule and reign over the conflict. Pray that every plan of the enemy would fail. And pray for salvation for the Jews, for the Palestinians, and for this world. Number three, I give this to you quickly. Learn how to reject hatred. And I submit that Christ followers, you and I, those who love the Lord and love His church and love His word, you and I must reject hatred in every form. Every form. Ephesians 4 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And I tell you what I've already told you, I can hate everything of terrorism, but I cannot hate the terrorist. The people who carried out these violent, evil acts are still created in the image of God. Rejecting it, yes, but still needing their salvation. And I just tie this into number four. If you're going to reject hatred, you're going to have to learn how to pray for the salvation of people. 
And here's, here's how you know. Here's how you and I know today if we have still have hatred in our heart or if we really have the goal of salvation for the world. Ask yourself, when's the last time I prayed for them? Because you cannot pray for people that you hate. You can pray against what people do. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Do you understand at the core of terrorism is sin. At the core of this is evil. I pray that God will eliminate the evil, and He will one day. I pray that God will bring peace to the, peace to the world, and He will one day. And I also pray, I pray that people will no longer be used by the evil one to destroy the name of my Lord and my Savior. And I pray for their salvation. Are you praying for the people of Hamas? Are you praying for the people of Israel who have a discontent and an evil spirit? Reject hatred. Pray for salvation. And here's the last one. Let me give you this. This is too good of a verse. I can't skip it. Romans 10.1. Man, memorize this verse. My brother's my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Is that on your handout? Is that on the screen? Say it with me. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Say it again. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Is that the right verse to pray this week? Is that a right response to this war? I pray for their salvation. Number, number five. <laughs> I'm so good at math. Number five. Hope in the future. Just have hope in the future. Do you know God can't lie? You know what God promises will always come true. And the Messiah that he has given us assures that, doesn't he? The purposes and the promises of God, of God for the nation will never, ever fail. And the covenant that God made with Abraham assured the land and the lineage. David assured the line to succeed him on the throne. And one of my favorite names of Christ, our kinsman redeemer, accomplished it. Can I give you some verses? You talk about hope. You talk about how this thing's going to look in the end. There was an old Southern Gospel song. I forget who sang it, but the old Southern Gospel song said, I read the back of the book, and we win. Pretty good, isn't it? We, we win. Israel wins in the end. Watch this. This ought to make, this just put a smile on your face. People who live there and never again Will there be a curse of complete destruction and Jerusalem will dwell in security? That's good. 
all the nations, all the nations that came against Jerusalem and Zechariah shall go up from year to year to worship the Lord of hosts and keep the feast of the tabernacle. Interesting, this feast of the tabernacle is what Israel was celebrating when Hamas attacked them. One day, Jesus said, all those nations one day are going to come and worship to the land to which they wanted to destroy. Look what Paul says in Romans. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Think he has a good answer to that? Absolutely not. I too am an Israelite, the descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people for whom he foreknew. And Jeremiah says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel for those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And I no longer, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all, oh. <laughs> for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. How good is that? There is a hope. There is a promised future. And when we come to this great divide in our world today and all that is kicking up against it, we can simply go, I know the cause of that. I know who's behind that. And because of that, I'm going to pray for Israel and I'm going to pray for peace. And if I'm going to pray for it, that means I have to reject the hatred of the person. I have to hate their act. Therefore, I'm going to pray for God's salvation upon them. And I'm going to look to the future glory because one day, the eastern sky will split. King of kings and Lord of lords will come and reign. We're, we're coming with him. White horses and rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now here's what in, the Lord impressed upon me as I was trying to put this message together. Israel is at war. Do you agree with that this morning? Pretty simple statement. So are you. You have an, a deceiver and you have an accuser, as Scripture would say. You have an enemy that is at war for you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never accepted Him as your Lord and your Savior, Satan is your enemy and he is at war for your soul. And he wants nothing more than for you to walk in darkness to be defeated by sin and conquered by addiction and overwhelmed with hatred and move into an eternity forever lost and separated from a holy and righteous God. You need to understand the root of the conflict in your life is a spiritual battle. There is an evil one that is against you this morning. You go, well, that didn't sound very good. It's not. It's not. And I don't care how long you've been in church and I don't care what prayer you've prayed. I don't care how many times you read the Bible. Folks, if it is not your heart's desire to be surrendered to the Almighty One, if it is not your heart's desire to worship the only one that is worthy of it, if it is not your desire to turn away from evil, 
I'm going to ask you today to surrender it all and lay it down and turn to the Holy One. You go, preacher, you sure do give an invitation a lot. And I say to you what I've said so many times. My friends from Danville have heard me say this for seven years. There's a lot of people that can preach the gospel better than I can, but there's nobody that's got a better gospel to preach than I do. And you and I need Jesus today. Understand your enemy. Does that make sense? If you're here this morning, you're in this battle. I'm going to ask you to learn how to pray for peace. Pray for peace. Cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You remember the old song, peace, peace, wonderful peace, coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit in fathomless billows of love. You do not have to walk today in conflict. You do not have to walk today in fear. You do not have to walk today in defeatedness. You can walk today in peace. I heard Gloria Gaither say a number of years ago, I've never known peace on this earth, but I know peace. And his name is Jesus. Do you know him today? Can I ask you today that if you're in this situation, as you are pursuing a life of following a Christ, you are pursuing a relationship with Him, would you learn how to reject hatred? Hate, hate what God hates. Hate what God hates and love what God loves. And God so loved the what? The world that He sent His only Son that whosoever believes in Him, right? That's who God loves. Love what God loves. Hate what God hates. Learn how to pray for the salvation of your family and your friends. Pray for the salvation of yourself today. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and I come to you to do what only you can do. Can you pray that prayer today? Never have prayed it before. Would you just come to the Lord and surrender that as simple as it is and go, Lord, I believe your word. If I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, I shall be saved. You are the King and you are the Lord and I surrender to you. Forgive me of my sin and that is the prayer of salvation. And then I ask you to hope for the future. Here's a great verse. Michael, why don't you, you and your team come on up while I'm trying to find this. Anybody else ever have struggles finding books of the Bible? That's why they got that little index in the front, right? I quote this passage of Scripture often at, at funerals, but how appropriate as we end our time today. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 through 18. The Lord Himself, King Jesus, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall always be with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's how you respond to a war. The general is on his way. The victory 
has been won. We read the back of the book. We win. Oh, Father, would you strengthen and encourage us today. Save those who are far from you. And draw us all into your into your presence where we lay down that which defeats and that which discourages. And we pick up truth. And we worship you, the only one that matters. In Jesus' name, amen.